I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. David Neosi has been president of two major organizations, the American Humanist Association and the Secular Coalition for America. He currently serves as the AHA's legal director. He's also a lawyer who has argued in front of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court about why the Pledge of Allegiance shouldn't be recited in public school classrooms. And he's the author of Nonbeliever Nation and Fighting Back the Right, Reclaiming America from the Attack on Reason. Thank you so much for joining us today. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on, David, is because we have so many questions that come in to the website, uh, on the podcast, from people who have questions about what to do, from students who have questions about what to do when they're in school, whether it's middle school or high school, and they have all this religion thrown in their face in a lot of different ways, and they're not sure whether anything is legally wrong. They're not sure whether they should speak out against it. And I know you've tackled a lot of these questions over the years, so we wanted to bring you on as kind of a back-to-school, how-do-you-handle-religion-in-the-classroom sort of episode. Yeah, sure. No, it's a very timely topic, isn't it? I think uh, (laughs) secular students are more visible than they've ever been. Uh, There are secular clubs in many schools now, and the concept of being an open atheist or openly agnostic or secular humanist, whatever you want to call yourself, is very uh, popular nowadays, unlike years ago, back when I was in school, where it was something you would be quiet about. So uh, it's definitely a timely topic, and these openly secular students are looking around and they're seeing tons of religion in their schools. In fact, you know, the religious right likes to complain that the prayer has been removed from public school, but the reality is there has never been as much religion in public school as there is today. Do you know, I mean, do you have a guess as to why, like, why people, Christians are trying to push their religious agenda into the schools now more so than in the past? Well, it's an interesting question. I think uh, Christianity, by its nature, especially conservative Christianity, is evangelical by nature. Mm -hmm. There's almost a duty to proselytize. And there's also this sense out there that the world is modernizing around them. I think there's uh, this sense, you know, gay rights has won, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, earlier women's liberation, and just the whole concept of modernity, modernity. Mm-hmm. kind of freaks out the Christian right, and uh, they react to it by digging in their heels when it comes to their religion and what they see as Christian privilege. They look at America, and they see a Christian nation, and they want to fight to defend it, mm-hmm. and thus we have the culture wars, don't we? Yeah, so too much is changing too quickly for their liking, kind of? I think so, yeah. The, you know, uh, modernity is a very scary concept if you have a biblical worldview. Of course, uh, if you have a biblical worldview, you already know the ending. You know, Jesus is going to come <laughs> back and riding his chariot. So they, they really just see the end of the all, world. all of history uh, <laughs> kind of uh, leading to that. So they see modernity as the process of society breaking down uh, to prove their religion right. 
I mean, for you and I, it seems kind of wacky, but that is uh, truly how many conservative Christians, fundamentalist Christians, see the world. And uh, so they see uh, a lot of what we see as progress as the country going to hell in a handbasket. Sure. So speaking of which, uh, why don't we start at like the beginning of the school day and try to work our way forward here. So uh, at the beginning of the school day, a lot of kids believe that they, I mean, they say the pledge in schools every morning. If you're an atheist student, what are you allowed to get away with? What do you not have to do? Which I, I have to say, I don't remember ever saying the pledge in school like I did in preschool, but it wasn't until after September 11th that we brought that back in oh, my really? high school anyway. I feel like I so did I it was... all of my life, and it wasn't until um, recently that I even knew, oh, I never, I don't think I have to say it. Yeah. But, yeah, so what are right. the limitations here? What's going on? Right. Well, uh, there are statutes, I believe, in about 45, 46 states requiring public school uh, public schools to conduct a Pledge of Allegiance exercise. Now, that doesn't mean that public school students have to participate in that exercise, and that's where a lot of people are misled. Uh, there's a case from 1943, the Barnett case. It's actually a free speech case. It has nothing to do with freedom of religion. It's a free speech case where the Supreme Court ruled that students cannot be forced to participate in the Pledge of Allegiance exercise. Any student, as a matter of fundamental free speech rights, has a right to opt out of the exercise. And language in Barnett and subsequent cases as well in the circuits uh, have stood pretty firmly for the idea that by having the right to not participate, that means not just not saying the pledge, it means the right to even sit out. The, the teachers cannot make you stand up to, out of respect, you know, even if you don't want to participate in the exercise. If you want to sit down at your desk quietly, you can't be disruptive, of course, but students, uh, not just atheist students, any student for any reason has the right to opt out and to sit out the pledge. Of course, atheist students have a kind of an added incentive because the under God wording was added to the pledge in the 1950s, thereby making the pledge and kind of an anti-atheist affirmation. So uh, there are many reasons for sitting out the pledge, political or personal or whatever. Uh, and of course, atheists have the religious reason for, for sitting it out or anti-religious reason for sitting it out. Uh, but that right is fundamental and it's very clear straight from the Supreme Court. So if there are any secular students out there uh, listening to this uh, who don't want to participate in the pledge, uh, you should understand that you don't have to. And I should add, I suppose, uh, along these lines, that the American Humanist Association, where I work, we have something called the Pledge Boycott, or Don't Say the Pledge, where we are encouraging students, whether you happen to be an atheist or not, to sit out the pledge, to exercise that right until the under God wording is removed from the pledge. Because even many religious kids feel that it's kind of silly to have under God wording in the pledge, as if God is on our side. So uh, if you're interested in that boycott, you can go to don'tsaythepledge.com and learn more about the boycott. So that's really interesting what you mentioned that there, you said there are 47 states that have policies that say public schools have to recite the pledge? I think it's uh, 46 or 47, thereabouts, yeah. Do you know what the origins of that is? Because that just seems just such, like, such a strange thing to force public schools into doing. 
Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, many of the states adopted that statute after 9-11. You know, there was a surge of patriotism after 9-11, although quite a few states had the requirement before 9-11. I don't know what the exact numbers are, uh -huh. but um, definitely a lot of the states jumped on the bandwagon after 9-11, feeling that somehow the exercise will uh, increase patriotism. Quite frankly, a lot of critically thinking secular human and otherwise uh, question whether the idea of having children who don't even understand the words often in, in elementary school sure. uh, stand up like lemmings to repeat something is actually in any way uh, affirming patriotism in any way. Seems you, you to know, be the opposite uh, of patriotism. Exactly. Yeah, 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 you're, you're certainly not encouraging critical thinking, you know. It's kind of a pack mentality, sure. us versus them, and uh, a lot of people just find the entire exercise very puzzling, especially foreigners. Uh, you know, if you go to Canada or Europe and you talk about the Pledge of Allegiance, people just kind of shake their heads. Uh, in, in just about every other developed country, mm -hmm. they would never dream of having this kind of exercise conducted with children on a daily basis. So, sure. yeah, and if any other reason, quite frankly, if another country did the same thing, if Saudi Arabia had a Pledge of Allegiance in their schools, we would be furious. Oh, my God. Like, oh, arms. they're brainwashing those so kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just a, a very uh, kind of quirky thing that we do as Americans, and a lot of people think we're a little bit hyper patriotic, and there's certainly <laughs> uh, some uh, some truth to that. Let's go to another issue that takes place early in the school day too, which is kids gathering around the flagpole to pray. Um, some at some schools this is a once a year event, but at some schools I've seen recently they do this like every week, maybe even every day, where they hold hands around the flagpole, they pray to Jesus in the mornings. So first question is that's legal, right? Yeah. Uh, and when are the exceptions to that? Well, it, it, like a lawyer, I'm going to answer that by saying it depends. You know, it's re, it's very fact specific. Uh, as long as something like this is student initiated and entirely student initiated, uh, it's uh, probably okay. And that is if it's not done on school time, if it's done before school, uh, that kind of uh, exercise is probably allowable. You're seeing more of this with Christian clubs in schools. Uh, you know, back in the old days, there weren't Christian clubs in schools. That was seen as a uh, church-state violation to have, uh, you know, a club to promote a certain uh, religion. But uh, nowadays, with, with these uh, good news clubs and other clubs in, in public schools, you're seeing these uh, initiatives brought forward. The, the important thing is, if you're a secular activist uh, student, or for that matter, teacher or parent, uh, the thing to look Look at for these uh, see you at the poll events. That's what they call them. See you at the poll, and um, is to really scrutinize them to make sure that they are student initiated and that they're not getting any special privileges that others would not get. For example, that kids are not given time out of the school day to go out and see each other at the poll. And there certainly shouldn't be any teachers participating in these exercises either. There's a an act called the Equal Access Act, which kind of governs the way that uh, clubs are allowed to uh, be administered in, in public schools. And it, and it very clearly states that uh, although there can be Christian clubs, even the uh, faculty 
overseer of the club should not be participating in any of the religious activities. Oh, so it would be it would be inappropriate for teachers to go out and hold hands and pray around the, the flagpole with students because when teachers are on the job, they are uh, presumed to be acting for the state, for the government. They're not exercising their free their freedom of religion at that time if they go out there and pray with students they're violating the establishment clause they're not exercising their religious freedom one of so the arguments for that. one of the arguments i've heard from christians on this point is that if you're a teacher or you're a principal uh you still can be i mean you're still a christian and even if you can't do that during the school day like you said this is before school why can't the principal join in why can't the teacher join in um, and especially, it seems kind of weird that if they're the faculty sponsor of the Bible Club, right. why can't they join in prayer then, even if it's after no. school part of a club? Yeah, no, the the faculty sponsor, so to speak, is not really the right terminology. They're, they're, they're more like a chaperone. Uh, you know, if there's a, a Christian, a student club of any kind, whether it's chess club or whatever, uh, there are supposed to be, you know, faculty to, uh, you know, to watch over things and make sure that, uh, you know, the kids are safe or whatever. Uh, but they should not be participating in that. In fact, you could have an atheist uh, faculty member be the uh, be overseeing the Christian club. There'd be no reason you can, or, or a Jewish or a Muslim uh, faculty member. It's really the religion of the teacher who happens to be sitting in the classroom while these students are are uh, meeting is irrelevant. And now if something, if, if there's an event just before uh, school, uh, you, you know, that's right on the fringe of the school day. It's a, if you're on school grounds just before school starts, uh, as a teacher, you're, you're on the job. You know, you're not in a position to be exercising uh, you know, uh, group religious practices like that. Uh, that would be something that would be inappropriate. Okay, so moving. Of course, up- you know, t- teachers can go to can uh, can go to religious services. That they can go to religious events where students happen to be, but not on school grounds and and not uh, just before or after the school day. Gotcha. Okay, so um, moving on into our uh, conceptual school day, um, this is something that's kind of uh, I've always wondered myself as I sang choir from elementary school through college. Where do you fa- where do you land on religious music? Because I ha- you know I-, I think we all know if you go past eighteen hundred and you know beyond Classical before music. that, it's all religious. It's all going to be religious based, and we have holiday concerts and things like that. Where is the line? Because that's always something I was curious about. As you know, when I was in high school choir and things like that as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, and it is an area where the law is not particularly strong, quite frankly. Uh, the, the schools are given some latitude when it comes to uh, the holiday season, if they want to throw in a religious song or, or two. And there's no uh, strict legal formula as to, you know, what's enough, uh, what percentage can be religious and what can't. Mm-hmm. Certainly an all-religious program uh, with, you know, one Christian song after another would be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, throwing in one or two Christian songs is probably going to be allowable. 
it's, it's really kind of a gray area. And what you want to be looking for is if you see a religiously charged music program, that suggests there are probably other things going on in the school as well. You know, if, if, if it's that overwhelming that, you, you know, you go to a holiday concert and you hear nothing but Jesus songs, uh, that, that's kind of a, uh, a flag for a secular student or parent or even teacher that, uh, you know, there's something going on in this school. And I would suggest to people uh, certainly make a note of it and try to keep good records of what's happening. But uh, it's unlikely that you're going to see any organization uh, really be interested in litigating a case that's strictly about a, a music program, unless it's truly overwhelming, like I said, if they have nothing but religious songs. But, uh, but you know, keep an eye out for what else is going on in a school like that, because it's certainly a flag that indicates there's a, a tolerance for injecting religion into the school day. Sure. And that's got to be hard to kind of walk that line with making sure things are well balanced without being accused of being pedantic and saying, well, this is like... You know, you have seven of, Jesuses in yeah, this concert. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, uh, when you do stand up as a secular and complain about religion being injected, uh, you want to have a solid case that would uh, that anyone would recognize if they if they looked at it fairly as being kind of egregious and, and a church state violation. Uh, going in and saying, "Hey, you sang fourteen songs and eight of them were Christian uh, <laughs> during." The holiday season, you, you know, it's uh, it, it truly might be a church-state violation, but it's not the case that everyone's aching to litigate. You know, right. uh, there, there's enough really egregious stuff out there that uh, we're probably going to pass on that one. Sure, fair enough. So, moving on to science. Yeah, uh, one of the questions I had is: Is creationism still an issue in science class these days? I mean, we. Oh, I figured, it sure is. You know, even with the Dover case, like a decade ago, where they said, you know, intelligent design is religion in school. We can't have it anymore. Um, how is it coming into play now? Well, it, it's really uh, the it, it's uh, kind of and. An offensive that never went away. You know, the uh, the Kitzmiller case uh, was seen by the religious right as just a bump on the road. Uh, that you're seeing um, lots of uh, schools, especially in the Bible Belt, but not exclusively so. Uh, you know, uh, avoiding the issue of evolution. Uh, You'll see some uh, science classes where they stick evolution at the end of the school year. And, of course, we all know from being in school that you never get to the end of the syllabus. So, uh, <laughs> oh, darn. You know, That's uh, so, oh, gosh, we just didn't cover that, you know. Uh, I think it's not you know, foundational. <laughs> yeah, if you're a concerned student or parent, uh, you really want to have your eye on this issue because it is an area where, uh, there are a lot of science teachers out there who reject evolution. It's kind of a scary thought, but, you know, it's like a, a math teacher who rejects division, you know? I mean, it's just such it a fundamental of part of, of, of science that, <laughs> that, that uh, you would expect 
that you know anyone who went through the trouble of getting a science degree or you know maybe some of these people don't have science degrees but you know to be teaching science and telling kids that uh, you know we didn't evolve from monkeys and you know the standard uh, creationist lines it's just uh, terrible and uh, the law is very strong in this area that there have been cases going back decades uh, where you know uh, the public schools cannot be teaching uh, creationism or you know the cloaked creationism of intelligent design it's just not allowed and uh, it's uh, if you see it happening in your school uh, whether it's through textbooks that actually explicitly teach it or teachers who ignore the textbooks when it comes time to talk about evolution and talk about, uh, you know, their version of evolution, which is, uh, you know, some sort of intelligent design. If you hear or see that sort of thing happening in your school, uh, that's something you'd want to call us about at the AHA uh, very quickly because uh, we can come down pretty swiftly on that sort of uh, curriculum. One of the things I've seen in the past few years is that the Gideons, the people that put Bibles in your hotel rooms and whatnot, they've been doing a lot of passive distributions at schools where they kind of have a table set up with a bunch of Bibles on it and kids can just pick one up because no one's handing it to them. Is that allowed? And what are like, how do atheists respond to things like that? Who are the Gideons? They just I've never met a Gideon person ever. (laughs) Who are they? These religious literature cases are very interesting because they're an example of how Christians really have the upper hand. Uh, the Most cases have come down to say that uh, Bible distribution can be allowed if the distribution of other material is allowed as well. In other words, Christians can't be given special privilege so they can come in and pass out their Bibles. Uh, if, they, if they're allowed to come in, then other religions can come in too. But of course, in many of these communities, Christians are the overwhelming majority. Uh, there are no other religious groups that are in a position to pass out literature of their own. Uh, you've got schools that are populated, you know, 90, 95% or more by Christians. You've got faculty that is almost 100% Christian. And, uh, you know, you've got nothing but Christian churches in town. So then the rules get drawn so that Christians can come in and pass out their literature. And so can anyone else, you know. But of course, nobody else has any connections to the school or uh, resources to pass pass out literature, or even knowledge that this particular school allows the passing out of literature, because the schools don't advertise it. It's just right. something that's done on the sly. So uh, it's, it's a great example of Christian privilege and of uh, minority religions just not being able to play on an even playing field. But Technically, under the law, if you do hear about it, if you're a secular student in a, in a community that's doing this, uh, if Christians are allowed to pass out their Bibles, then atheists are allowed to pass out their literature as well. So you would want to contact an atheist or humanist group and get mm-hmm. some atheist-humanist literature, and we would demand that the same privilege that the Christian clubs got or the Christian groups got. Technically, the Bible should not be handed 
handed out by faculty or staff of the school. They should be made available on a table. Uh, but, you know, whatever privilege the Christian religion got, then atheists and humanists, or for that matter, any other minority religion, should be able to uh, have the same access. That's what the law requires. Well, it kind of begs the question if... This is if this tends to happen in populations of that are overwhelmingly Christian. You know, if if you say mo- almost everybody goes to school is Christian, with very very few exceptions, who are they reaching out to? You have to assume <laughs> all these kids have Bibles at home. Like, what's their end game? That's true. You know, there's this sense I think that they need to validate themselves, <laughs> and that uh, you know, and maybe even though it's a Christian community where everyone's Christian, there might be a few kids out there who are struggling, you know, or wow. whose parents whose parents haven't found Jesus. So we're going to help them, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, again, it's the evangelical strain, the proselytizing requirement. Uh, it's. Uh, To outsiders who think critically and rationally, it's a very bizarre phenomenon, but that seems to be the, uh, you know, the mental process that's going on. One of the things we saw in Florida recently is that the Satanic Temple stepped in and they said, oh, you're doing a Gideon's Bible distribution? We have a coloring book promoting Satanism to uh, hand out to students. And that got the entire uh, religious handouts just stopped altogether. So that's an interesting way to handle it. Yeah, the Satanists have been quite proactive, if you will, (laughs) about uh, demanding equality. And, you know, standing on the sidelines, it's really kind of fun to see, because uh, when they do demand their equality, suddenly the Christians are not so concerned about religious freedom anymore. Uh, You know, they, they think somehow that, uh, you know, those Satanists aren't entitled to the same privileges that they get. Uh, Are there still religious assemblies going on? Because every now and then you hear a story about, you know, a school bringing in a speaker, maybe like an anti-drug speaker, which sounds fine on paper. It's one of those things schools do. But then they're brought in from these like they're really Christian ministries. How often does that happen? Well, I don't know exactly how much it happens, because uh, a lot of it happens outside of our view, of course. We only learn about it when uh, a parent becomes aware of it and uh, objects to it or contacts us about it. But we get the sense that it happens an awful lot. There are a lot of these speakers who basically kind of do a circuit. They're, they're, They're on the circuit the whole school year, going around from one community to another. And you're right. Uh... When we have proof that there is religious proselytizing happening, uh, we can intervene and object to it and often get schools to even cancel the event before it happens. Uh, But uh, they're very good at what they do as far as evading the rules and uh, being just slick enough to put some, um, you know, put a facade on their presentation to make it look like it's about health or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, abstinence, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, again, to really beat this sort of thing, it it requires that there be somebody who is somewhat of a secular activist on the ground in these communities, because you want to go to where these speakers are speaking and see if any religious literature is being passed out, for example, or record the event, as long as it's not illegal to do so. And, uh, you know, record the event, and let's see what this speaker had to say 
about health and and uh, you know Sex teenage education. sexuality uh-huh. and uh, right. See, see if they they're actually promoting a religious view. So um, you know it's fact specific, like so much church state separation law. The facts are what really matter, uh, and you you have to see exactly what's happening. But it's definitely something that should raise a flag to anyone who's a secular. A student or parent, and it's something you, you want to look at. It might not always cross the line, but it's definitely a flag that, that needs to be scrutinized. Sure. All right, so moving on to uh, after-school activities. Um, football, there seems to be kind of a uh, an intrinsic link between football and prayer, and maybe that's because of its prevalence in the South. Um, but what are, what's the line between um, student, students can pray, but coaches can't initiate the prayer, like the pregame? kneel in a circle and talk about Jesus That's and football. Right. And, right. and once again, coaches should not be participating in the prayers either. Uh, it, uh, any prayers should be student-initiated, and they should be uh, only uh, only students should be participating in them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not often the case, quite frankly, if you are familiar with the way football works, especially in the Bible Belt, but again, not exclusively so. Uh, the the uh, there's a group called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where uh, many many of the coaches, especially in the Bible Belt, belong to this organization. And this organization is interested in promoting Christianity. That's what it's really uh, trying to do. It's not so much a fellowship where oh you happen to be Christian then you might want to belong to this FCA and you know from time to time you can get together with your Christian. Body and, uh, you know, to read the Bible or do whatever you want to do. It's much more proactive about what it's doing. Uh, It's encouraging Christianity as part of the football program. And, of course, it can't be in an official way, but they get as close to the line, and quite frankly, they cross over it uh, quite frequently. Don't some of these teams have chaplains, too? Yes, they do. And and we had one uh, case where a where a coach baptized a student in the back of his pickup truck no. with the entire team. It's true. I'm not making this up. The, 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 the entire team is surrounding, and the coach even points out, are you here to accept Jesus in front of all your teammates? You know, so, uh, you know, the, the, this is not what's meant by student-initiated religion. You know, this is a, a coach uh, baptizing a student, so it, it doesn't get that much more flagrant than that. I can't imagine what part of the country that was from. Oh, my God. Oh, take a guess. Yeah, it's even funnier every time this sort of story happens when the team then loses the next game after this is in the news in a pickup truck. Well, that's where all baptisms take place now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you can't make this stuff up, really. I mean, if you started a story with an anecdote what? like that, people would close the book and say, oh, Why? that's not realistic. One of, the reasons, one of the reasons I hear about so many of these stories, it's not from the American Humanist Association or Americans United or Freedom From Religion Foundation. I see these stories because I'll get emails from students who said, I saw this on my friend's Facebook page because they don't make this isn't subtle. This oh, isn't no. secret. They are broadcasting the pickup truck baptisms, et cetera, <laughs> yeah. to the world. Like, yeah. are they really? I mean, it's bad enough they're doing this, but they're doing this and they're broadcasting it. It's kind of like, yeah, bring on your lawsuit. You're not going to sue us. No, I don't think but, that's what it is. I think yeah, it's well, ignorance of the law. Is it ignorance or is it, yeah, I, we I can, we're martyrs? Is, uh, I think. 
Oftentimes, it, it, you know, the, the, there's a sense in many of these communities that, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Uh, and of course, no one's going to complain. We're all good Christians here. Who, who's going to complain? Uh, it's, there's a sense that, of course, nobody in this school could be an atheist. You, you, know, <laughs> they, they, you, you, you have to remember uh, how much of the country sees atheism. You know, they see it as analogous to, uh, you know, sat satanic worship. Sure. I mean, it's ridiculous because, uh, you know, uh, of course, atheists think, uh, you know, the the devil is as fake as God. and But, you know, this is the way people think in much of the country, and this is why the concept of open secular identity is so important. You know, mm -hmm. when these people realize that there's a kid on their Little League team uh, with, an, you know, atheist parents and, uh, you know, that there are secular families in their community, I mean, they're not instantly going to embrace them. But slowly, you know, you start chipping away at the prejudice. Yeah, it's like the the gay thing. Oh, my cousin is gay. Oh, maybe not all gay people are like evil. Yeah, as soon as you meet yeah, one, it's all fun. better. Yeah. So that brings yeah, us to yeah. one last question that we wanted to bring up here. So coming to after school groups um, in the closing of our school day metaphor that we really nailed. <laughs> um, so what's what's the line there? I guess we kind of talked about it in regards to me at the poll. Are they allowed? We can have after after school groups for Bible clubs, right? That's legal. And then what's the what can atheists do if they want to start a group? If if Christian clubs are allowed in a school, then almost by definition, atheist clubs need to be allowed as well. There's no special privilege for any one religion. Is if the school decides, and now schools don't have to allow Christian clubs, but if they do, that means that they really have to allow the atheist club as well. And uh, so a secular student should, uh, you know, take some steps to form such a club. You know, the Secular Student Alliance is out there uh, well prepared to assist kids in forming clubs. So you want to get in touch with the Secular Student Alliance and see what you can do to form one in your school. And if you're a parent, you want to do that, uh, uh, you know, help your kid do it if they're interested. I mean, you don't want to force kids into this sort of thing, but sure. if there's interest, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing, as a parent, you can kind of help your kids navigate, uh, or who, who am I kidding? I mean, kids uh, kids help their parents navigate through the cyber, <laughs> cyberspace more than, but, but you know, you can help your kid navigate through the bureaucracy of the school anyway. Of course, a, a teacher or a principal might obstruct a kid who's trying to form an atheist club, but if sure. the parent steps in, and this is a good place to point out, if there are any difficulties with any of these issues, uh, it's important for secular students and parents to reach out to a secular group that does legal advocacy. Uh, I'm from the American Humanist Association, so of course I'm going to uh, promote the AHA's legal uh, team. We're, we're well prepared to assist with this. But there are other groups too, and the important thing is to get the legal help that you need because, uh, boy, it's amazing what a letter from a lawyer can do to straighten out uh, a principal who seems to think that he's running a Christian school, you know. Uh, once we remind him that it's a public school and, and that the law requires, uh, you know, equality and fairness, uh, we're usually pretty effective at getting it. Do these, one last question for you, do these administrators know about the law? Wouldn't they know about the law if they are in those positions of power? And are they just openly, like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do the stuff that is totally illegal, but we're going to wait till the lawyers make us stop, or do they genuinely think, not know? 
Yeah, I think oftentimes uh, they do know, but they just think that this is the way things have always been done in this town, and no one's ever complained. And actually, they probably feel that if they put the brakes on some of this activity, they're going to get some heat from the majority population of Christians in the town. Uh, so uh, I think oftentimes they do know. Every now and then there, there are uh, administrators and teachers who simply don't know or don't understand the law, and then that's uh, sometimes the case. So it's a mix of things. Right. One thing I, I'd, I'd like to add in all this, you know, we're talking about the legalities and certainly uh, litigation and letters from lawyers are often the thing that, that need uh, to be done. But it's very important sometimes that parents and students can push back a bit about the, against these things just by speaking out. You know, for, like I said, in many of these communities, the administrators and teachers just think that nobody is offended by it. And if you speak out when you see the stuff, it might be the first time in a century that anyone has ever spoken out against the activity that's happened, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and it might be the first time in anyone's lifetime in that community that anyone has ever complained about a prayer being said at the beginning of a meeting or something. But, you know, when somebody does speak out, uh, that gets people uh, talking and thinking about it. And there's a lot of activism that ordinary citizens can do. You can write letters and emails to the principal, the superintendent, the school board, write letters to the editor. You can organize visible visible groups now so easily on social media. You know, find the few other secular families in town, form a Facebook group or a meetup group and, you know, join together. And, you know, some of this stuff is so ignorant, you can shame the community into into getting into line. You know, you can make them feel like a bunch of hicks and uh, just kind of rid rid ridicule them into, you know, uh, getting into at least the 20th century, if not the 21st. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? In some cases, it's even possible that if a student speaks out or a parent speaks out or they get a letter from one of these church-state separation groups, some of these administrators may actually breathe a, a sigh of relief mm. because they know it's illegal and they have a way to say, look, I didn't want to do this, but the lawyers are making me, sure. so we got to do I the right thing here. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. They get to uh, save you know, face. You don't know the... <laughs> Yeah, the individual personality of every administrator, you, you don't really know uh, who you're dealing with, but I'm sure some of them uh, actually welcome this kind of intervention. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, David. We always appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.